So this is uh, session number two, part two, for Biblical Leadership and Decision Making with Michael Moyles, uh, Chaplain's Workshop. <laughs> number of times I've done this, and the number of configurations and audio, it's just crazy every time. You never know. I had one time, I went and they said, we want you to do a... Friday night, Saturday night, and then the Sunday sermon. Three talks, three days. I mean, this is old hat for me. I can do this a dozen times a week. I arrived, and it was six talks in three days. And we're also doing a Friday afternoon and a Saturday afternoon and a Saturday evening fireside chat, which is basically a devotional, plus the Sunday morning sermon. And then if you could do a Q&A block after... Yeah, so I hired a lawyer, and there was a... I actually am only half kidding, because you, when you're in this business, you kind of got to watch your time and your commitments, and when you commit to three talks, and you show up and it's six, that's a foul. On my time, on my family, on my abilities, on my credibility, because by the time I get to the sixth talk, when I was preparing three, I'm probably not as sharp as I would have been, so you're really messing with a lot when you... So we got into these pre-negotiated pre contracts and stuff where I'm signing up for three talks and I'm showing up expecting to give three talks. If I show up and it's six, I have a contract that says three. I, I never expected all of the things that would go into being a public speaker and folks want to record and then there's legal liabilities with recording and they want to broadcast and they want to and then they want to record the Q&A but the people who ask the questions don't want their questions re the things I deal with can only be medicated by dark chocolate <laughs> well I had a choice between dark chocolate mint Milano and some omega-3 blueberry thing and I couldn't figure out what the other one was, so I went with the dark chocolate Milano. Anyway, that was not my joke. I didn't use a pirate voice, so uh, you know I'm not telling jokes yet. Uh, but I do want to get a little more serious. I know last talk was serious, and we talked about suffering and some serious things biblically. But I want to get, make this second half a little bit more introspective. I want you to think about you. Okay, so over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, sorry in advance, over the next 30 minutes or so, and then we'll just have open Q&A, and I'll tell you how that works. Um, I'm going to ask you three questions. The first question I'm going to ask you is, what is important to you? What is important to you? I'm not talking about what you'd grab if there was a fire and you saw your wedding album. What do you use to make decisions day to day? What priorities? What, what decision factors do you use day to day? It is highly possible, in fact likely, that you have no idea. In fact, most audiences where I give this same talk, most, up to the 06 level and above, haven't even thought about it. They don't even have an idea 
I go the other direction and I talk to Young Life Summit Focus, the youth, I gave this same talk to a group of about 60 Young Life leaders about a year ago. Anybody want to guess what my first three answers were to what is important to you? What were my first three answers from Young Life? These are Christian youth. Faith. I wish. I wish. Oh, we're getting close. First answer was my Xbox. Second answer was my girlfriend. Third answer was basketball, extracurricular activities, sports. Youth group, young life, Christian youth, my Xbox, my girlfriend, and basketball. Fourth answer was my car. So I want you to think about what is important to you. I'm going to ask you that question in just a little bit, and we're going to talk about it. Second question I'm going to ask you is, what would it take to change that? Harder question. Is there anything that would change that? What would it take for you to change what is important to you? Again, not what you'd grab when the fire alarm goes off, but what you use day to day to make important decisions. As I look at this Young Life crowd that's talking about their Xbox and their car, I'm thinking, you are making life-changing, irreversible decisions based on mistaken priorities. That's sad. Are you? You don't have to be a 20-year-old Young Life leader. You can be sitting in this room, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and making irreversible, life-changing decisions based on mistaken priorities. Most of you may have never thought about this before, so that's what we're going to do this morning when I talk about biblical priorities and decision-making. I don't have any slides, so that's a cover slide that's just going to stay up the whole time. I want you to think about what is important to you, and what would it take to change it. Okay, I'm going to tie that back into my cancer story, obviously. What was important to me before I was diagnosed with brain cancer has changed remarkably over the last 20 years. Maybe you can learn from the lessons I've learned. Maybe you already have. That's where we're going to go with it. Third question I'm going to leave. Unspoken. Once had a boss tell me there's two things I've learned in 30 years in the Air Force. First, never tell anyone everything you know. Okay. Everybody's heard that one before. Best I can do with a joke. Okay, so what is important to you? Somebody give me an answer. Just throw something out. What's important to you? Come on, you've been reading my website. Who was that? Was that you? You reading my website again? You told us. I did. It's on my website too. Um, but yeah, don't take my answer. Give me yours. Maybe faith, family, and fitness aren't in your top three. You don't have to make my top three your top three. I think it's a pretty good place to start. I'd say Xbox, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> but I, I also had a boss tell me one time um, that if you don't have a target to shoot at, you're guaranteed to miss. So there's some thought process there, too. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you've never thought about what's important to you. That's okay. 
Take Faith Family Fitness if you want. Take my top three. At least you've got a target to shoot at. And as you live through it, maybe you find that that's not right for you and you need to change it. That's great. But it gives you a target to shoot at, right? Faith, Family, and Fitness is something that's it's a place to start. What else? Faith, Family, Ministry. Ministry. Okay, I think that's important. Um, I think there's a lot of overlap there. Maybe faith and ministry overlap. Maybe my mission or my job and my ministry overlap. But maybe not. Maybe ministry is a separate effort. What else? Knowing, what is important? I'm sorry? Knowing and following God's will. Ooh. Knowing and following God's will. You may win. <laughs> Gold star or whatever. I don't have anything. Candy. Somebody give her something. Oh, we have a bucket chocolate. of candy somewhere. Chocolate. Sacrifice. Chocolate is on my list. It's all about sacrifice. Pardon me. <laughs> I've been told five priorities. Top five priorities. Five? God, country, family, job, and then me. God, country, family, job, and then you. So you two got to fight it out and figure out. I would say okay. finances. I'm lying to myself if I didn't say my creature comforts were important. That I want shelter. I want food. I want to be able to. So selfish of you, really. Very selfish. But, I, but I, again, no. if I'm being honest, it's hmm? not just that. There's very little that I would need to maintain shelter, food. Yeah. And I want more than that. So selfishness on my part. But finances do figure into some of my decisions. They're huge. Be honest about it. So I'm a certified financial planner and a CFA, certified financial advisor. Um, I can't call myself a CIA, a certified investment advisor. Still working on that license. But yes, I deal with this as much as anything else in my ministry. Um, people who hear that or see something on my website or see a business card, I get as much questions about that, as many questions about that as I do about ministry or theology or anything else. How do I, and it's not, you know, be a millionaire at retirement. How do I get to the end of the month? And uh, shockingly few can without debt or credit or something. Just the end of the month. Well said. Mark, did you have a hand up? My chaplains. They're important to you? They're important to me. Yeah, it's not what you said when we met last week. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, or secret. No, but that's our, I mean, this is our, call it our co-workers, our, our community, our, our circle outside the family that touches so many other things. For you, it's your chaplains. Um, for me, maybe it's my running buddies or my, you know, whoever. Uh, and I'm always careful in these forums to say um, my faith, the support of family and friends, and physical fitness. Because I got caught a couple times early on in my ministry, what if I don't have a family? It's just me. I go home to my one-bedroom apartment and yeah, mom and dad are in the Philippines and I don't have any other siblings and I'm not married and no kids. and. I kept putting this emphasis on family because it was so important to me getting through cancer. My wife, who has sat outside an operating room for 11 hours, 10 times, praying. You ever try to pray for an hour? You don't have to answer that. Try to pray for 15 minutes, nonstop. I can't do it. I, 
full-time Christian ministry and I can't do it. I make it three, four minutes. Oh, did I turn off the stove? I think I turned off the stove, but I still don't think I know what's for dinner tonight. You're, you're, you're chuckling. I know you're with me. I know you all do the exact same thing. You try to pray for 15 minutes nonstop and you get in about six and you're thinking about the dinner or the, this is my struggle. So to think of my wife sitting outside an operating room in a patient waiting room for seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven hours praying while I'm going through surgery and then doing it ten times. I don't have that constitution or whatever it is. I don't have that stick to She's just a godsend in that way and so many others. Um, just incredible. What's important to you? Sir? I, I think uh, what's important to me, ministry is important to me. So we do church ministry, different things like that. But I also have to stop and think to myself a lot that sometimes ministry shields you from family problems. So or ministry involved. shields you from what's important. Yeah, you can, you can get involved in so much ministry. And then, then I, I have family problems that... that are not as high a priority as they probably should be. So I don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> probably awfully rude to take a big old bite of something when you're... But this may even be holding me accountable. Um, my wife was very... Uh, she was very sure that I should not take this engagement. And she was very vocal you're not strong enough, you're not healthy enough, you're not ready, you're not supposed to be driving. And she had quite a list of reasons why this is not a good idea from a health perspective, but from a ministry perspective, which was my focus, this is my, this is my comfort zone, this is my crowd. The military, the chaplains, the age group, the demographic, the this is my comfort zone. I'm going. Um, I suspect she will be proven right tomorrow. If you know what I mean. So I've been through three major surgeries in the last two months, including a brain surgery. Started my infusions on which today, Tuesday? Holy cow. Yesterday. Started in, which is basically chemo yesterday. Um, and she's going to be absolutely right. This will, sorry Mark, not beating on you, this will end up being too much. And I'll realize it tomorrow. Um, and this is my family constraining my ministry, which rubs me wrong. Don't you tell me what I can and can't. Don't tell me I can't make it to Denver tomorrow. Don't and I'm wrong. And my wife will be proven right. Maybe not. God's got it. I feel fine. We're going to make it through the next hour or two. And uh, I expect everything will be fine. But it's a good example of where you could have competing priorities. Now, when I ask you what is important to you, in my view, that implies a priority. Okay? So I can say, faith, family, fitness. 
But there's a priority there that matters. What do I mean by that? Um, I'll take it back to my active duty days. Uh, I've had those jobs, as many or most or all of you have, where I'm out the door three hours before my daughter's awake, and I'm home two hours after she's in bed. I had a two-year-old who didn't recognize me, literally didn't know who I was. She would cry when she saw me because she doesn't know who this guy is. Anybody ever heard of General Dave Goldfein? Yes. Who is he? He's the Chief of Staff of the Air Force. I was his aide when he was a three-star in the Pentagon, and I had a three-month-old. Anyone who's ever been an aide to a three-star in the Pentagon knows how often you'll see that three-month-old. And it's, I'm out the door three hours before she's awake. I'm home two hours after she's in bed. I put my daughter to bed on Sunday night. I might see her again on Saturday morning if the boss doesn't have anything going on. Aide travels with the boss. So I literally, I did that job for 18 months before he turned over and went, I think he went to ACCA3 or somewhere. Anyway, um, and introduced myself to my 18-month-old daughter. And that's how it works sometimes. Um, but at that time, I made a commitment to my wife, <coughs> never again. I will be home for dinner every night, and I will put my daughter to bed every night, absolutely and utterly, without exception. And I didn't miss a night for four years, not one night. What's that look like? That looks like putting family before career, job, promotion, money. It was more important to me to put my daughter to bed than to make Colonel. That's hard. And when you realize in the wing commander's office, explaining this to him with your boss, the group commander sitting next to him, I leave at five. If that means I walk out of wing staff meeting at 5, I, I leave at 5. I'm going to be home at 5.30. I'm going to have dinner with my family. I'm going to put my daughter to bed. I may take some work home. I may get the laptop out after she's in bed. I mean, the job's got to get done. I'm a squadron commander. I understand. But I'm going home at 5. And I'm having dinner with my family. And I'm putting my daughter to bed. But what follows from that, if that means I don't make colonel, then that has to be okay. I have to accept the return. And if you got a good group and you got a good wing, that doesn't always happen. And they respect and they recognize. But it doesn't always happen that way. Worked out in my favor. Um, made colonel and got kicked out anyway. But anyway, there's a medical, mandatory medical separation. Kicked out is kind of a strong word. Okay? But this is the sort of stuff you have to think about when you realize that when you say what is important to you is actually a priority. I can't just pick a list. Eventually they are going to compete or conflict and you're going to have to decide which is more important. Is it more important to me to put my daughter to bed and have dinner with my wife? Or is it more important to me to make a good impression on the wing commander and stay through the whole staff meeting? And there were times when I stood up and walked out of the wing staff meeting with a one star at the head of the table. And there's only one way that's possible. This is to the active duty crowd and anyone else. The only way it's possible 
for the deputy mission support group commander to get up and walk out of the wing staff meeting at five o'clock is I've already had that talk with the wing commander and he knows, okay, Colonel Moyles is going home for dinner. Okay. And when the rack and stack comes and the PRFs come out, maybe that's considered and maybe it's not. What's important to you? This is where it starts to really matter when I say what's important to you. Everybody in this room, I expect, would give me family as one of those answers. Really? Okay. Let's look at that scenario where it's 5.15 and you're stuck in the wing commander's office and staff meeting's not even half over and dinner's getting cold. You going or staying? You told me family was on your list. Some of you would tell me family is number one. You going or staying? What else? I think family's a good one. It's on my list. What do you use to make big decisions when it matters? Not what do you grab when the fire alarm goes off? Community. Community, I think, is important because I think it's the next step outside of family, right? You've got family. We've talked a lot about that. What's the next concentric circle? Community, neighborhood, cul-de-sac, whatever. I think community's big. Also other believers. You know. Yeah, see the family of faith. I, I, do I call that faith? You know, mine are faith, family, and fitness. Those are my top three. They have been for a real long time. Haven't served me wrong yet. But where does community fit into faith, family, fitness? Do I broaden family to include friends and family? And now it's my neighbors too. Or do I change the word and make it... Sir, did you have a... Can I go back on your five o'clock thing? Oh, yes, sir, please. Uh, there are days, my, my wife works too, there are days when she comes home late and I'm in earlier than she is and I do the cooking and I delay cooking as long as possible so that the dinner will be ready when she comes home and, and if the kids get hungry, I tell them to get a snack and the dinner will be served when mother comes. I love it. So I can only offer a, an amusing anecdote from my days in Monterey when I was at the postgraduate school. Um, we're a bit of a dysfunctional family, my wife and I. At the time, we didn't have kids. Uh, I'm more of the homebody than she is. Uh, there is little in this world I despise more than yard work. If I'm outside in the garden, there's something seriously wrong. If I'm shoveling snow, my wife, uh, God love her, was living in the house she was born in when I met her. Definition of shelter doesn't even apply here. Literally a Midwestern farmer's daughter living in the house she was born in. So this was an odd dynamic to take out to Monterey Bay ultra-liberal Ninth Circuit Court, Gavin Newsom rules, you know how it goes. So we are newlyweds-ish, married a year, living in Monterey. They do not cater to the military community if you've ever been there. They cater to Pebble Beach, 17 Mile Drive, Carmel. 
finding a dinner out for less than 60, you would think with four major military installations, Fort Ord's kind of gone now, but you've still got DLI, you've still got Naval Postgraduate School, you've still got Presidio, you've still got at least three major military installations in the area. They don't care. And this is not talking down to Monarch, they just, that's not their clientele. That's not who they're looking at. They're not looking to feed a $17 dinner to an airman and his wife. They're looking for the $60 or $70 dinner to Clint Eastwood or whoever. So we, I'm sorry? Okay, I, I, this was a shock to a young captain and his wife as we went to the postgraduate school. Um, we figured we'd find military meals, no. The first challenge was housing. They don't market housing. Fort Ord's pretty much closed. When we got there, they were renovating the entire thing. There were no housing available. DLI was only for people at the, at the Language Institute. We couldn't live up there. So we found, you're gonna laugh again, we found an old folks home. Kid you not. It was a, I'm sorry, a retired assisted living community, whatever the right words are. And they had, there was a couple that lived up in San Francisco that owned a retirement home down in Monterey that they were eventually going to move into. But until they both retired and moved into it, they rented it out to DLI NPS couple. And we got the lottery or got lucky. So we lived in this old folks, in this home, in this place, <laughs> this facility, for two years while I was at the postgraduate school. Uh, I mean, youngest couple by 40 years. And we had our daughter while we were there, so of course, we were the talk of the town. There's a baby in the vicinity, and the line is out the door for all of the elderly to visit. So anyway, um, it, was, it was interesting because we were so much the opposite. Let me make a point. The point is our interesting dynamic as a married couple, plus where we lived, created a f hilarious situation where my wife's out mowing the lawn, and I'm inside fixing dinner. Honey, dinner's ready. And the neighbors are like, wait. Or she's outside shoveling snow, and I'm inside baking cookies. And it's just the opposite dynamic that everybody else in the community was looking for in this young married Air Force couple. Uh, so I was always the one cooking dinner, baking cookies, homemaking, doing grocery shopping, all of that. And she was out, you know, gardening or shoveling or whatever. And we made that work uh, for a long time, uh, where I would get home early from school, we'll let that go, and uh, start dinner. And it worked. And uh, it doesn't always work. It doesn't work for everyone, but it worked for us. No, but that's perfectly honest feedback. So let's move on a little bit. I want to have some time for Q&A. What is important to you? We've gotten some good ideas. We've gotten some feedback. We've gotten some input. The questions are going to get harder. What would it take for you to change that? Okay, so obviously this ties back to my cancer story. What do you think was important to me 20 years ago. If our roles were reversed and it were, I don't even have a lieutenant here, do I? Got a captain. If it were young Captain Moyles sitting over there and it were Colonel whomever sitting up here, what, I'll ask you directly, what do you think was most important to me when I was sitting where you're sitting? Career. 
Career, no question. Promotion, which all equates to money. Getting promoted, getting the next rank, getting more money, really was all that mattered. There, I'd, I'd have been hard pressed for a two. It was making major. And at the time, you can't do any more, making major below the zone, which was almost a guarantee of lieutenant colonel and squadron command at the time. And lieutenant colonel and squadron command was almost a guarantee of war college and colonel. The first step is major below the zone. You make that, and you're kind of on a glide slope, at least in the mid-90s when that was relevant to me. Most important thing in the world to me was getting promoted. So on December 10th, see how well you remember your dates, December 10th of 99. What happened on December 9th of 99? Does anyone remember? Every cancer patient has their D-Day. Their diagnosis day. December 9th of 99, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Where do you think getting promoted fell on December 10th? Couldn't care less. So this is when I say, what's important to you? Career, promotion, money, advancement, command. What would it take to change that? Hopefully not a cancer diagnosis. Sometimes God's got to use a pretty big hammer to get it through. And he did with me. Career. I don't care. Anything else. I delayed my marriage, ladies listen, for two years. I delayed getting married for two years because I was afraid it would interfere with my first command selection board. And I told my fiancé don't repeat this outside the room. I told my fiance, this will work as long as you realize that career is going to be my number one priority. This will work as long as you realize, this is how she hears it, you'll always be number two. How do you think that went over? This is going to work as long as you realize you'll always be number two. My wife, of 24 years now, brilliantly answered, great. Well, this isn't going to work until you realize I'm number one. And it took two years for us to figure that out. And guess who bent? Not her. Yeah. And she's still number one. So what would it take? If you have in your mind, or if you've been constructing in your mind, or if you've been thinking about what's important to you over the last 15 minutes, is there anything? I get a lot of nothing answers, especially when it comes to family. Family's my number one. Nothing will change that. Okay? Mm -hmm. What else? What would it take to change what you think is important to you, sir? Um, to be reconciled with time. Is there a theological uh, something there that I'm missing? No. Um, you asked, you asked the first question and then gave the second question. I haven't given the third yet, yeah. So my, my, I couldn't answer the first question. Um, well, my first question, but the answer to the first question, what is important to you, was pressing to Jesus with others as if now matters. Now matters. I like so, that. So the, the second question, what would it take to change that? I wouldn't change that, but it was changed to that because I had to be reconciled to time. So, okay. So... Looking ahead to eternity now matters. And yes. I was wasting my... I had a different view of time. 
prior to my first wife dying of Leo. Wow. Being a single parent, um, having a stroke three years ago. So um, playing the church game, mm -hmm. playing it nice well with said. people, uh, you know, and realizing that there's a whole lot of time being wasted uh, when the priorities aren't right. And that went back to your previous session, looking to being conformed to Christ's likeness in this day, now. Uh, suffering is part of that. Um, being with others is part of that. Encouraging others is part of that. Now matters more than ever than when it did before to me. So I think you may be one of the first people ever, and I've been doing this a really, really long time, with a legitimate and defensible answer of nothing. I almost always launch. I will attack on anybody who says nothing. What would it take to change that? Nothing. Okay, you're wrong. I assure you I can find something that will make you change. And if you say, oh, it's my family and nothing can change that, oh, I bet I can. What about when they're gone? Think of Mo. His his son, his brother, his sister, and his mother in the same month. Where's family on his list? So I'm, I'm not, obviously, not trying to draw at straws, but um, I can almost always find something when someone says nothing. But I think you're the first in thousands of people I've spoken to that has a legitimate nothing could change that. That's great. Thank you. First name? Paul. Paul. Anybody else want to take me on and tell me nothing will change it? <laughs> I'm kidding. What would it take for you to change your priorities? Sir? I've changed some things um, just talking with my father, seeing where his life is and the decisions he's made and how I want my life to be like that or how I want my life to be different and you know, me 30 years behind him. Changes to, to my life based on that. Yeah, I think that's totally legitimate. Did we talk in the hall? Okay. Um, my father has advanced Parkinson's, dementia, all of the above. He's in a full time assisted living facility, can't feed himself, can't wipe himself, can't really do anything. Uh, his father died of Parkinson's. Parkinson's is genetic. If brain cancer doesn't get me, it's almost certain that Parkinson's will. Neurodegenerative, so I'm already halfway there with a third of a brain or whatever I've got. Um, this is very, very, very difficult uh, because it has changed what's important to me from the faith family fitness perspective. That family used to include a lot of dad. Had a great relationship, loved my father dearly. He's out of the picture. Doesn't even know who I am. I, can, I, I spent eight days with him over Thanksgiving. Well, we were there for eight days. I visited him every day. Maybe two or three of the days he knew I was there. Four or five of the days he knew someone was there. Just didn't know who it was. Um, and I see a lot of my future there. Uh, it skips a generation time and again. I have no confidence in that. Um, but seeing my father walking where I will be is tough. Uh, he uses a Hauer lift. This is a crane. He's 6'6", 270 pounds. He's enormous. Basketball player like me. 
but uh, he can't do anything. He can't get to the bathroom. They can't sponge bath him. They can't change the sheets. They can't get him to meals without this crane that lifts him up and takes him everywhere he goes. And it can lift him up and they change the sheets and they do a sponge bath and puts him back down. Or it can take him to a dining facility, a meal where they can feed him. He can't feed himself. He can't even get to the bathroom in the middle of the night without this lift. And it is the most dehumanizing thing I've ever seen. If anyone had ever seen a Hauer lift or watched a loved one, my father, taken to the bathroom, it's, it's one of the most difficult things. And to think that my future may include it or that my present includes it when I go to visit him, this will change that dynamic. Faith, family, fitness, cancer, any of the things I listened, listed, addiction, depression, dependency, diabetes, obesity, you name it. Any of those will change what's important to you in some way. It may not reprioritize it. It may not take it off the list or add something else to the list, but it's going to change. It may change the order. Is that fair? Okay. We flirted with the third question already. I'll just give it to you. I can't finish it for you. I can only start it for you. The third question is, have you ever considered? The rest is up to you. And I've given you some teasers already. Have you ever considered that a Parkinson's diagnosis will change your priorities? Have you ever considered that a cancer diagnosis will change? Have you ever considered... I don't know how your sentence ends. Have you ever considered and then I want you to do the homework that's when you leave here how do you finish that sentence in your world in your priorities have you ever considered and I want you to think hard have I ever considered my dad won't see another Christmas the next time I see my father will be at his service that that changes things for me um, have I ever considered that glioblastoma is an 11-month median survival rate? I was diagnosed in October of 17, so I'm well past my 11 months. That changes things for me. Have I ever considered, fill in the blank, so the homework part of the assignment. You don't have to do it. I would encourage you to think about it on the drive or the flight home, at the very least. Because I think it's important. I think very few people have thought about this this far. They may consider what's important. They may even put some effort into thinking about what would change what's important to them. We've gotten that far, and I think we got that far fairly easily. This is the hard part. Have you ever considered, what have you not considered? Maybe we put it that way. What have you not considered when it comes to your priorities and what it'll take to change them? Life's hard. Life is hard for Paul. Life is hard for Jesus. Life is hard for us. We will suffer. We are guaranteed that we will suffer. 
because we are going to conform to Christ-likeness. It is going to bring us closer to God, and it is his most powerful evangelistic tool. And it will change you. And it may change your priorities. And it may change what's important to you. I want you to remember those three things I had up on the very last slide. No matter what we go through, no matter how much we suffer, no matter how hard it gets, there is no suffering that you are going to face that is greater than the suffering that Christ faced when he was beaten and crucified. There is no grief that you are going to bear that is greater than the grief that Christ felt when he was momentarily abandoned on the cross. And I realize that that's a theologically debatable point, whether or not he was. And there is no burden that you are going to bear that is greater than the burden of every sin that ever has been or ever will be committed. No matter how bad it gets for you, brothers and sisters, no matter how bad the suffering, the grief, the burden, Christ has been there. He's done it already. Fair enough? All right, let me give you a 30-second on Q&A. That's it. There is no question off-limits. There is no question that's going to offend me or bother me. The chances of a question that I haven't gotten are slim. And literally, the roof is off. You can ask me personal questions about cancer, about family, about anything. You can ask me theological questions. I got two master's degrees in theology. I can probably come up with something. And I got probably half and a dozen other masters and doctorates out here. So uh, you can ask me theology. You can ask me personal. You can ask me cancer. You can ask me anything, please. Sir? Would you say that... Um all of the heroes of the Bible had one thing in common. They all suffered. Yes. I would only caveat it to say all the heroes of the Bible had things in common. They all suffered. I think they had other things in common. All I'm saying is that's not the only thing they had in common. No, of course yeah, not. I'm no. saying right. that those that God loves most suffer. Absolutely, yes. I think I'd be hard-pressed. I would be interested. I'd open it to the floor if we had time, but I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a hero, to use your word of the Bible, a, an icon, a paragon, a, someone that God used tremendously who didn't suffer tremendously. Well said. Thank you. And sometimes it's a bit unexpected when I think about things like David. That's not the kind of suffering that we think of, and it's not the kind of hero that we think of. Uh, he was a screw-up. Sorry, but David, David had a rough go, and I, you might be hard-pressed to find someone that God used more. What, adultery, murder, let's just trot out the list. And man, let's just build a nation on this adulterous murderer. Good input, thank you. Sir? Two questions. Yes, sir. Um, do you see how God prepared you before 1999 for your cancer? And then how did your theology of suffering work itself out? Did you have a period of medical thinking you just had to come to understanding of suffering? The second question is a good one. Um, I was an unbeliever. 
career-oriented, narcissistic, self-centered, career-minded before cancer. I wasn't even a Christian. Um, Christ saved me through my wife. And that is a hilarious story that is illegal in 44 states. Because I pursued her across state lines when I was 24 and she was 17. And then once I captured her or got her to say yes, she turned me down the first six times I asked her out. Now my wife of 24 years. Once I finally got her to say yes, I took her across state lines into Missouri to go to Laclede's Landing, which is where all the date people go when you're stationed at Scott. And that's illegal in, I think, all 50 states. If I'm 24 and she's 17 and I take her across state lines anyway, uh, I see some law enforcement over here, so I'll move on. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I, the answer is a very easy no. I had no interest or attraction to Scripture, Christ, Christianity, the Bible. I had an interest and an attraction to this cute little girl who worked at the front desk at the YMCA, who turned me down six times. Now, what does any player, <laughs> sorry, what does any guy do faced with that situation? Somebody tell me. Who wants to be a millionaire? Phone a friend option. Yep, so I go to her best friend, who also worked at the YMCA. What is up with this Angie girl? I mean, did, did she not get the memo? I mean, is it not obvious? What, why won't she go out with me? She turned me down six times. And her best friend gives the player solid gold. The one piece of information I needed. Oh, she's a Christian. She only dates other Christians. You've done the math. Apparently it was obvious <laughs> that I wasn't, so she wasn't interested. But this is also the one piece of information you need. So I'll find out where she goes to church. I'll go there too. She'll think I'm a Christian. She'll go out with me. I win. Guys, come on. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> how many of you... Don't, don't raise your hands. <laughs> this is how it works. So I found out where she went to church. Kind of. I found out the area, but she drove a neon blue 77 Dodge Shadow with personalized license. I'll find her. And I found out where she went to church. I go to church. They're hey, I didn't know you went to church here. Hey, we should go get some lunch after church. Turned me on a seventh time. <laughs> Game on. This is not in my script, just so you know. Um, so I go back for four more Sundays. Same church. I'm, I'm going to win. I don't lose. She's not there. I don't care what that guy up front is saying. I'm here for the girl, but it's rattling around in there, and it's going in, and I start thinking, and this is not how I was raised, and the way I'm living is not what I truly believe, and I start to make some constructive changes. Turns out it was spring break. She was in St. Louis going to college. She had gone home for spring break. That's why she wasn't there. Spring break's over. She comes back to church. And if she were sitting here today, she would tell you she knew when she saw me. Didn't say a word. She knew when she saw me. Something was different. Cleaned up my game. Quit drinking. Quit swearing. Quit partying. Quit sleeping around. She said yes the eighth time. We were married a couple years later. and Here we are. But... Uh, I was as heathen as heathen gets. 
And it was only through that experience of her refusing to entertain uh, that kind of a person that made me realize what kind of a person I was. And it was Christ through her saying, got it wrong, boss, brother. That's not the life. And I was raised a Christian. I was even, I was, everybody's seated. I was even raised in a Presbyterian home. I'm a Southern Baptist now. I should have started with that so that people who wanted to leave could. But uh, I was raised, (laughs) I was raised, yeah, I was raised in a Presbyterian home. Um, Shocker as it may seem. But anyway, the, the, the point, the answer to the question is I had no insight into Scripture, Christ, Christianity, anything, and no interest, honestly, uh, until I met my wife. And that was the only way. She was cute, let me tell you. Um, only way for me to get the girl. Uh, second question, forgive me. Just, um, did you have a period of mental thinking? How did you come to understand about the suffering? Um, I persisted for over 20 years without dealing with the question. I was Job, I was whatever. It's too hard. There's no answer. I've tried, I've looked, I've asked. I'm going to suffer. And that's how it's going to be, and that's going to have to be okay. The search for answers, it's just... And I've tried. I looked every scripture I could find trying to figure out why I suffer. There are no good answers. And I had largely given up until last year. I had never, I had largely given up, but I had never experienced spiritual brokenness. Physical brokenness, sure. Been broken physically many times, chemo, radiation, surgery. Emotionally, probably. Um, Mentally, definitely. I had been broken in almost every way. But I had never been spiritually broken where I forgive the phrase, it's the only accurate one, where I question God. His very existence. I've been praying for 20 years and it's back again. So either he doesn't exist or he doesn't care. Or he doesn't answer prayer. What's the point? And I got to the place in that 79-mile drive home from Anschutz, which is our big cancer center here, spiritual brokenness. And I walked in the door, trying not to cry. (laughs) And I walked in the door completely broken in every conceivable way. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, completely. I couldn't even stand. And I collapsed on the floor at my wife's feet. And we together, through a very long night, many of you may have been there, of just talking and praying and figuring, um, we got to get our arms around the suffering thing. Because I can't keep suffering this much without some answer. And it was through that process, and it was the devotional the next morning, might have been two days later, that brought me to 2 Corinthians 1 9. 2 Corinthians 1 8 through 10 was the devotional the following morning or two days later that really spoke to me. I didn't hear any audible voices or fireworks in the sky. It was, He is forcing you to rely on Him. He is bringing you closer to Him. He is conforming you to Christ-likeness. And man, I, I will admit to you publicly, I fought it. 
No, that's not the answer. Because I was still my own, I, I got this. I can handle this. I can get through this. I, you got to get to the point where you let that go. No, you don't. You don't have this. You can't handle this. And I was still standing on stages. Look what I've done. I've beaten brain cancer five times. I've made it through chemo. No, you haven't. Shut up, you idiot. You haven't drawn a single breath on that stage but for the grace of God. Amen. Would you quit saying how many times you've beaten cancer and how many times you've done chemo? And It's big voice from the great beyond, megaphone style. Hey, Mike, it's not about you. And that was the realization that brought me to probably real saving faith and realization of suffering. It's not about you. And that's hard for the alpha male, for the, for the player, for the captain of the basketball team, whatever, to realize at a real core level, it's not about you. That's hard. That answer your question at least mostly? Sir. Thanks for your vulnerability, and uh, probably in a room of chaplains, it's okay to cry. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I guess I'd like to hear more, if you would, just share, what does the conversation with your daughter look like as she's walked with and through and age appropriateness and explaining suffering? And share more about what that conversation has looked like. Great question. Thank you. And thank you for permission to cry before asking it, because I will while I answer it. Um, this has been a very, 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 this has been by far the most difficult part of the cancer battle for me. Um, I can handle chemo. I can do brain surgery. This, this is what I do. This is, forgive me, this is what I'm good at. If you're going to pick something to be good at, why not beating brain cancer? It doesn't bother me. It affects my family far more than it affects me, whether it's praying outside an OR for 11 hours or whether it's my daughter. Now, she was not... I don't want to say she wasn't born into it. She was three months old when I got my second brain cancer diagnosis. So um, she had to get rolled in pretty early on. But the debate that you have as a parent, and I would guess most, if not all of you are parents, how much does she need to know? Um, and we fought. Angie, my wife and I, fought is a strong word. We certainly disagreed over the answer to that question. So when I came back with my fifth brain cancer diagnosis, grade four, glioblastoma, 11 months, we got to roll her in. And what Angie, my wife, and there's a little bit of inside baseball here, forgive me, just in one ear and out the other if you're not comfortable with the inside baseball. Um, we strongly disagreed. And what my wife told my daughter was daddy's sick. Cough, cough, sneeze, sneeze, he'll be better in a week. That's what I thought. Now if I'm four years old, five, she was five, and I hear daddy's sick, that's what I think. And I laid into my wife, confession, I was completely in the wrong, and I said, no, you need to tell her you need to tell her daddy's dying. 
She has no concept of what she's about to face with daddy's sick. She needs to know the magnitude of what we're facing. You need to tell her daddy's dying. And, she's not, and we went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Probably one of the biggest disagreements we've had in 24 years. Somewhere in between daddy's sick and daddy's dying is soft, squishy, center of goodness, happy medium. Um, I don't want my daughter, I don't want my daughter going to bed at night thinking that daddy's not going to wake up in the morning. But I also don't want her thinking cough, cough, sneeze, sneeze, he'll be better in a week. How do I communicate that to a seven, six-year-old, eight-year-old? Uh, that's, there's an art. That's not science. You can't pick up Gary and Mary Ezzo's Baby Wise or Ted Tripp's Shepherding a Child Heart or, or James Dobson Dare to, you can't, I got the stack, you know, the, the, the dad kit when I became a parent and I read them all. It's not in there. So where do you, where do you go? Prayer on your knees, you figure it out, you, and every child's different. How do I, what do I communicate? And that really comes down to the question, how much does she need to know? I think daddy's dying is too much. It's true, but that's a lot for an eight-year-old. I think daddy's sick is not enough. It's more than that. So you, what we started doing, right or wrong, our solution brought her to everything. Every appointment, every scan, every consult, every neuro exam, now she's starting to realize, well, this isn't just a cold. There's more to it than this, and this is a recurring thing, and we're going somewhere every week for something. And uh, she looks at the scans with us and the neuroradiologist, and the neuroradiologist points out, and this is instructive to her. Are we five over? Ish. Doing fine. Okay, give me a yeah. hook or something, because I'll just do Q&A. Got, &A and got about 10. Got about 10. Is that helpful? Is that answer? I can, I can go for a long time on that one, but so difficult and so child-dependent, so situation-dependent. Somewhere between daddy's sick and daddy's dying, and we did our best to find that squishy middle. I don't pretend that we nailed it, but good question, hard question. Yes, ma'am. I'm just curious just um, how you and your wife have stayed, what has been that process for you guys staying on the same page and moving forward in a, in a positive way in your relationship? Was mm -hmm. there, I don't know if I'm... No, that's a good question right. too. It's probably the hardest question I get. Um, I have the foggiest idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I haven't. Okay. It's a fair answer. It's the only answer I have. Um, we have taken on different roles at different times. This last surgery in March, um, funkied with some stuff. I'm not the same. For the first time in 20 years and 10 surgeries, I have never had a neurological deficit. I've never had a personality quirk, aggression, depression, mood swing, short-term memory loss. Never had anything till March, just a couple months ago. This is the first surgery or the first event, surgery, chemo, radiation, whatever, where we're seeing something's different. I have a much shorter fuse. Anybody ever see... Uh, What's the show? Air, uh, 
Anyway, but ours go to 11. Is anybody with me? Spinal tap, thank you. This is me. I go to 11. I don't have a two. This has been really hard for us over the last couple months. If I get mad, I go to 11. There's no ramp. And this has left my wife and daughter very unprepared in many cases where they step on the wrong nerve or they say the wrong thing. And it's not daddy gets a little irritated or there's, you know, I'm off the rails. And wrong of me, we're in counseling through a licensed clinical social worker at the hospital to get me back on a ramp. One, two, three, four. Okay, daddy's getting a little upset. Let's take a break or daddy needs to go get a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom or go on a long run. At least two numbers in there. At least, at least a double-digit run. Um, so there have been challenges. Uh, marital, uh, emotional, how do we reconcile? Uh, we could do much better, and maybe this is advice, I don't know, on the spiritual side. When those things happen, when those challenges present, we need to be in prayer or in the Word. That's not our first resort. We try to psychologize it or figure out, or what did Ellie say that really upset you? Ellie's my daughter. We need to be on our knees first, and we're working through that. And it's interesting that even as 30-year Christians, or whatever most of us are, for many, that's still not our first resort. All right, let's get out the graph paper. I'm an engineer. We're going to figure this out. We're going to... That's not the answer. Um, we are very good at the logistics. It doesn't help. We can figure out a medication schedule and we can figure out a treatment plan and we can figure out, because it's just so rote of we do the MRI, then we do neuroradiology, then we do neuro-oncology, then we do neurosurgery, and then 90 days later we start over. And we do neuroradiology and we do neuro... We're good at that. I've got an Excel spreadsheet that does it for me because I'm a geek. That's not what it's about. That's not the question you're asking. Um, yeah, there's nothing to prepare you for this. There's nothing that prepares a marriage for this. No book. I told you. I've read them all. Ezo, Trip, Dobson. There's one I'm missing. But, yeah. Townsend. We have so I got probably two more questions, two or three more questions. Sir. Uh, earlier you mentioned the disagreement between your wife and you about coming here today. Yes. And if I heard you right, understood that you came because you believe this is God's ministry to you. Correct. And minister to us. Yes, sir. And, and you've done that. I'm getting to the question. Because I'm not quite sure how to ask it. You've done that. I think you've touched me and you've touched us all here. There's lots that we can learn from you, what you've shared. But I would like to know, because you decided to come, what this does for you. Is this healing for you? Great question. Thank you. Um, to say that this is therapeutic is a massive understatement. 
um, this is how I'm fed. I will confess readily, sorry chaplains, to missing church. I don't want to say on a regular basis, but far too frequently to speak. I'll skip church to give a talk. Some chaplains may rake me over the coals for that. Others may applaud it. Um, I would just say, given the choice of speaking to this room and sitting in an auditorium, I'll be here nine times out of nine. Every time. This is my spiritual drink. Um, it's not always. I have spoken to many audiences where I am left running for the door and dry, to be honest. I've been fortunate, especially I think because of where I live in Colorado Springs. Most of my audiences are ones you know well. Young Life, Youth with a Mission, Summit Ministries, Compassion International, Focus on the Family. These are household names and they're all in the Springs. And nine talks out of ten, that's where I am. They're well-versed in this. They know guys like me. They know how to engage and participate and ask questions. They have good questions. They listen. Um, I can mention a number of other places. Military many. East Coast many. Uh, where I can't wait to get out. I'm looking at the tops of heads. Everybody's on their phone. If they're not on their phone, they're talking to the guy next to them who's on their phone. Oh, but of course they're looking up the verse that I just referenced on their phone. And this is, forgive me, this is, I won't say where, but I get a lot of that. And I have to take both. I went to the Coast Guard Academy two months ago. I was at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, and it was revelatory. I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to go. It's a long way away. It's hard to get to Groton, New London, wherever the heck. I don't know where I was. I had to rent a purple Dodge Neon to get there. I know that. <laughs> but these Coasties, they sat with their elbows on their knees, not iPhones. Stay with me if you know what this is. Notebooks. They're elbows on their knees, eyes wide open, look straight at me, active listening, taking notes, asking questions, staying after. And I sat back and went, wow. And that's the Coasties. And then I stayed and did the Naval Academy and realized, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but you, you got you, you to take both. But the fulfillment I get from an audience like this is unmatched. It's what keeps me doing it. Mike. Yes, sir. I love everything you've said. And I've just sat here in tears almost. But the first two verses of that same section of 2 Corinthians 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And that's what you've been doing today. You know, you're going through something. There's people in the room that are, are 
not tell you how much you're suffering, but the point I'm saying is, this is what God does to us. That's right. And I just love that. And I think there's so many layers to that verse because there are people who are here sitting right now who didn't want to come and who had decided not to come and went anyway or a friend pressured them or they'd already paid the registration fee and they are fulfilled in a way that they never expected. Mark said we had to be here. <laughs> but you may also run into those people who couldn't wait to get here and are completely All right. Well, thank you. That's all I got. I think I'm being getting the hook. I'm uh, not, being not, getting the hook. Well, not fully, but um, so before we uh, before we conclude, um, uh, first of all, Mike, uh, Mike uh, as long as he's up to it, is going to remain with us uh, through the day, and and uh, you'll have opportunities maybe to talk with him as well. Um, oh, yeah. Can I share one thing before you continue? Uh, yes, yes. I have to tell you about Mark. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I mentioned, I said I would do this and I almost forgot. So I gave a sermon very similar to the sermon I gave about Cha Chaplain Robert Preston Taylor. If you're in the Springs or go to Woodman Valley Chapel, maybe you even heard it. It's available on my website if not. Anyway, um, and I finished this sermon and as often happens when you're a public speaker, you've got a line after you're done talking. And they could have questions about what something you said. It may be, hey, can you come talk at our retreat? Hey, our men's retreat is next weekend. Can you come? I'd love for you to come talk to Arya. I don't know. I got a line of 20 people after I finished this sermon, and I'm just going to go through. And about four people back, I see a face. And I'm gripped. I'm almost crying already because I recognize him. And I haven't seen him in 24 years. And I said, that's Chaplain Mark Engels. He saved my life. And as I'm trying to answer the questions of the two or three people in front of him and keep my mind focused, it all starts coming back. I was a young second lieutenant at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City, 1993-1994, and I hated my life. I was not a believer. I was not a Christian. I was not a computer programmer, despite the fact that the Air Force told me I was. I was engaged when I left college, in love with a girl, and we agreed to get engaged when I graduated and married when she graduated. She was two years behind me. She was sleeping with both of my roommates while I was stationed in Oklahoma City. Um, destroyed me, absolutely destroyed me emotionally. I hated Oklahoma City with a holy passion that Paul shares for Lystra. And point being, I was waking up, doing a job I didn't want to do, in a place I didn't want to be and dealing with a relationship I didn't want to deal with. And it did not take long, chaplains, you know this, you've been there, before I decided it would just be easier not to wake up. Waking up in a place I hated, doing a job I hated with a relationship I hated, just easier not to wake up. And I started to have thoughts that I've never had before or since in my life and I knew it was unhealthy and I didn't know what to do. You're a young second lieutenant back in a day when you don't go to mental health. This is 93, 94. If I want to see first lieutenant and captain, I have to have another avenue, which is the chaplain. Wisely, I took myself to the chaplain and said, I need help. And the man who answered the door was Chaplain Mark Ingalls. And he talked me through and got me through. And he saved my life that day. 
I was ready to not wake up. I was ready to just be done. Thanks, Mark. So if any of you chaplains ever think for a moment that you don't make a difference or don't matter or that that next knock at the door is just going to be another who knows what, not the case. <laughs>